Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. Before we launch into our episode this week, I want to remind everyone that the O'Reilly Design Conference will take place March 19th through the 22nd, 2017 in San Francisco. Visit O'Reilly.com forward slash design con for more information and to register. Now to our episode. This week, I sit down with Danielle Malik, designer, owner, and mentor at Design Equation. We talk about mentoring the next generation of designers, what she is learning from recent design grads, and the role fear plays in our work. Enjoy the show. Danielle, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Um, I'd love for you to start off and talk a little bit about how you found your way into the world of design. Well, um, like many of my generation of designers, it was kind of a roundabout path, um, for sure. My first career, I was actually a sign language interpreter, which was a cool gig to have. Um, and actually lent me some of the skills I think I still use today because it's really about um, distilling information and then repackaging it for a different audience, um, which is, you know, a lot of what I do. Um Let's see, I went to school as an industrial designer when I got out, um, decided fairly quickly that I was a little bit more interested in in the interfaces of the products um, and then had a lot of different roles uh, as that. I worked for a consultancy in the early days um, when we were calling them rich Internet applications. <laughs> When we were moving from, you know, these static page-based websites into like more fluid, asynchronous, you know, app-like things. And, uh, you know, it was really like the Wild West then, you know, there weren't any best practices. And so we were um, just kind of making it up as we went along, which was fun, although standardization is <laughs> is actually a good thing. <laughs> I remember we were all coming up with our own takes on um, scroll bars at the time. You know, sometimes the buttons were at the top, sometimes they were at the bottom. Um, anyway, I ended up uh, after a time at Hot Studio, which was a design consultancy in San Francisco. And then we were acquired by Facebook. Um, and my time at Facebook was really fantastic. It's a great experience overall uh, for many reasons, not the least of which the scale that you're working with like, uh, I think 1.6 billion people on Facebook now, which is, you know, kind of mind boggling to know there are that many eyes on the work that you're doing. I also uh, learned some great lessons at Facebook because of that scale. You know, they're they're using a ton of data, a lot of analytics. It, it really permeates kind of everything there. Um, and yet they managed to have a, a strong design culture as well. So that was really something to learn about um, uh, skills to navigate um, data when it can very often be put in the driver's seat and kind of dictate things and, and pull down to like a lowest common denominator, or, you know, make design kind of reactive. And um, instead, you know, how design can can take the reins a bit more and um, lead the process and be more strategic and, and more systemic. Um, but then uh, after my time at Facebook, I, I decided I was ready for a change. I'd been doing same thing pretty much for quite a while. And um, was looking for a special kind of, you know, meaning and impact in my life. Um, started to have some inklings about the company that I wanted to start. And I knew that teaching would be a, a good first step. So I taught at General Assembly for about a half a year. And uh, that was also a great experience. You know, most people who teach will tell you it's a great way to kind of reexamine what you believe about a given topic, since you have to, you know, explain it and, and repackage it for others. So, you know, that that was a, a great 
step in the right direction. And, and then I started Design Equation. Excellent. So let's talk about that. Um, so what tell let folks know what it's about, why you started it, and and what your goals are there. Well, I started Design Equation to address a couple of problems that I'd been seeing in my career. Um, the first issue is basically around the cost of design. So very often in my career, um, there'd be a client that I wanted to work with. They had a really cool product or a really great mission, but the economics of it just didn't work. You know, and there's only so much pro bono and discounted work that you can do. I actually, when I was at Hot Studio, I started a little program in which we were providing some free consulting um, through a um, an incubator that was focused on social impact startups. And we'd provide free consulting for um, the companies that were in this incubator. And everyone loved it. You know, the companies would get a lot out of it. Um, the designers at Hot uh, really enjoyed the experience. Um so, so that's the first issue. You know, it's just a uh, design can be very expensive. The, the second issue that I was trying to solve, um, I became kind of more aware of the, the other shoe dropped, uh, after general assembly for me because I was finding that some of my students who I thought were very driven and very talented, um, really poised for success were having trouble landing, uh, a job in the field. And, you know, very often they're hearing that they need more real world work in their portfolio. And, um, you know, having been a hiring manager, I totally get it. You know, people don't want to be the first one to take a gamble on a new designer. Um, designers are really hard to evaluate the junior ones uh, because, you know, in this day of Squarespace and Wix, like all their portfolios tend to look the same. You know, they work on group projects, so you're never entirely sure what work is theirs. They don't have references related to design work. So, you know, all of this makes it a challenge to hire junior designers and definitely uh, created this kind of wall that they're bumping up against um, when they try and get out in the field. So um, with my business, I'm creating a number of solutions to to these problems. So, you know, first is I'm acting as a design consultancy um, around product design. So I sell these um, design sprints. They're three weeks. I contract two junior designers and uh, have them work full time with my mentorship on these client projects. It's been a really great program because the short design sprints keep the work really focused. You know, we act as an accelerator for the clients who are uniformly happy with the work that we do. And then the designers, you know, very quickly get some good work for their portfolio and they can they can continue their um, job search. So that's kind of the first solution. Um, the second part of design equation is placement. So if a company hires us for um, one of these sprints, they have the opportunity to evaluate the designers who are working for them. And if it feels like there's a good fit, they can bring them on directly afterward. And, you know, in many ways, they're, they're kind of trained um, for that work. Um, but by me, but then also I have relationships with a number of companies who call me up and say, hey, I'm, I'm looking to hire. Who have you got? And since I work in such close proximity to these designers, you know, I, I can really vet them um, with confidence. So I definitely know their, their strengths and weaknesses and um, can recommend them appropriately. And then the third part of my business, which um, I've only recently started to develop and you know, kind of uh, was unforeseen. It kind of came as a little bit of a surprise for me is external mentoring. So I had just been getting a lot of requests from former students, from other designers for um, 
mentoring uh, for jobs that they've gotten. So what's happening a lot is that designers are graduating a program like General Assembly, and they'll get a job offer from an early stage startup to bring them on as a sole designer. Mm. And, um, you know, I got to say, it's a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's just really not advisable um, for anyone. But, you know, it's, I can't stop it because the the companies want to um, hire cheaply. The designers want a job. So, you know, this scenario is going to continue to play out. But what I can do is I can mentor these folks in place and I can mentor them on the design work that they're doing. I can mentor them on um, life in a startup and how to, you know, gain some influence, how to compensate for the fact that they're very junior and and they typically lack a lot of power there, um, how to manage up, how to manage out, how to sell your work, all these sorts of things. And so this arm of my business is being developed now. I actually brought on a partner. Her name is Billy Mandel, and she's um, all around fantastic mentor and educator and um, really a powerhouse. So she is um, going to help me build out this this uh, final part of my business, um, which can focus on junior designers, but it also can focus on designers kind of at any part in their career kind of taking on new challenges and looking for an additional perspective on the work that they're doing. That's awesome. Boy, and there is a need. Um, Yeah. It feels like a huge um, untapped potential right there. Well, and it's it's almost like what you're doing, if we could multiply that by, you know, thousands, (laughs) (laughs) might be able to fill the demand uh, (laughs) out there. Um, I'm curious to know, um, first of all, where are these designers, the junior designers that you're, you're bringing in, where are they coming from? You mentioned, uh, general assembly, are they coming from, uh, systems like that? Or are these also recent college grads or, you know, talk to me about the walks of life. Well, I think, um, so right now I'm pulling mainly from General Assembly and I do expect that to evolve over time. Um, it's convenient for me because having been an instructor, I know what their curriculum is. I know mm-hmm. what they should be coming to me knowing. So that's definitely a leg up. Um, another thing that I really like about General Assembly is they tend to be midlife career changers. Mm-hmm. So they're people who already have some work experience. So we're not kind of starting from, um, you know, zero uh, with regards to professional experience. And very often um, their prior career uh, can can add some interesting skills to the set um, in the work that they're doing. So, you know, some some people are coming from related design fields, which is always fantastic. You know, you're getting someone a little more well-rounded from the beginning. Or, you know, maybe I'm getting someone who is formerly a project manager, so they're very organized and they're bringing, you know, those capabilities along or someone who was a writer before. And so I can think about, you know, how to place them. Mm-hmm. So um, the the designers right now are from there. Um, I'm definitely looking to expand. I also am trying to emphasize diversity in the uh, designers that I'm pulling. Um, I definitely, when I talk to potential employers, you know, Everyone's wanting to have a, a workforce that's more representative of their audiences. Mm-hmm. And so they are looking to hire with more diversity. Interesting. So, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about the the midlife career changers. So I would think that, you know, 
one of the things that you see in junior designers, but junior designers doesn't mean young or mm-hmm. um, or necessarily, you know, coming with a lack of experience. Mm-hmm. I would think you would be more, you would need to spend more time mentoring folks around collaboration and soft skills and, and things along of, along those lines, but that may not be the case. What are, the, are there common threads you see in the folks that you work with? Um, yeah, definitely. You know, it's still, it's still um, people taking on a new challenge in life and, and it kind of doesn't matter what the age is, you know, they're, they're kind of thrown in the deep end, you know, they're facing um, the newness of it all, you know, trying to ramp up quickly and kind of overcome um, doubts and fears. Mm-hmm. The things that I'm finding about junior designers, um, I was getting inklings of these things at, at General Assembly, but my work here at Design Equation has really confirmed it is, you know, first of all, they're really capable of a lot. You know, you, you, General Assembly is a 10-week program. You know, you could realistically have very low expectations for these people, but they do fantastic work. And, um, and the thing that I, I try and impress upon them too is, um, the ability to explore, you know, and that I have high expectations for them. I do find that when you have high expectations, you know, people will, rise to meet them. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely something is, is the capabilities that they're coming in with. Another thing that I'm noticing about them is that, um, you know, they really value direct feedback and, you know, not all of my designers are millennials, but, you know, I, I think about that millennial stereotype <laughs> where, you know, everyone gets a trophy and don't say anything mean or, or they'll get mad, you know, and, and that's not true at all. You know, the people that I work with, they really want direct feedback. They really want me to um, give it to them unfiltered and uncensored. They're here to grow. You know, they understand um, that I'm here to help them. And they also understand that I'm doing it, you know, from a from a place of love. And so, you know, that's kind of another misconception I think people have about these junior designers and, and that they should be coddled and really finding the opposite is true. And then uh, I'd say the, the last kind of common thing that I'm finding about junior designers, and frankly, this could apply to any of us <laughs> at any age, is um, the role that fear is playing uh, in their lives. You know, they're especially vulnerable because They've taken a big risk on this new career, you know, no promise of a job at the end of it. Um, and, you know, they they come in and the, the fear could really sabotage them. It could really sink the work that they do to be consumed by um, self-doubt, you know, to be insecure, to worry about their abilities and also the qualities of their ideas. But um, I always address it very directly. You know, we talk about it when it's coming up. And I also try to give them a space where they feel safe to take risks and to try things and actually, you know, fail if they need to kind of within within a safety net that I provide. Because I feel like, uh, you know, in the Bay Area, we talk a lot about failure is is good, fail fast, you know, all this. But then when they actually get in the workplace, it's like, no, no, you put on your game face, you fake it till you make it, you know, you you cover up your mistakes. So I, I try and provide kind of a different experience around fear that hopefully helps them manage it better. Mm, good point. Interesting. Right. We all talk about it's 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 good to learn from failure. Just don't do it on my time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so talk to me about your hiring process. What does it look like? And what do you, you know, for those listening that are interested in perhaps 
coming your way. What do you look for in new hires? Well, um, you know, a minute ago, I said no one wants to take a chance on uh, untested designer. And well, I'm kind of the same way because I actually maintain relationships with the instructors at General Assembly and always want kind of that back channel to understand um, what the designers were like. The instructor spent 10 weeks with them and really has seen them probably at their lowest low and highest high, right? It's, you know, it's kind of a pressure cooker, like I said, very high stakes. So, um, so it's good to have that instructor input. And then they can also give me leads on um, specific skills that I'm looking for. If I'm looking for someone who, you know, has an affinity for research or strong IA or, or strong prototyper, like I can ask for those things specifically and, and they can give me candidates. And then, you know, from there, um, it's really a, a fairly short process. I have a phone call with them. You know, I've already screened for some of the um, soft skills that I'm looking for. I really, I want low drama people. I want people who are good collaborators. I want people who are very curious. And the phone call that I have with them, um, funnily enough, is usually not a lot of time spent on their work or going through their portfolio um, because, you know, honestly, <laughs> junior designer portfolios, ugh, they're uh, <laughs> <laughs> they try so hard. God love them. But, uh, you know, you can't you can't get a lot out of it. Um, it's much better to to have the conversation and kind of hear the thinking behind things. You know, sometimes you can find that, you know, a little diamond portfolio. Um, but more often than not, you know, I'm really looking to get a rapport to understand, you know, does this person have a growth mindset? Are they curious? Are they humble? Are they open-minded? Um, are they a self-starter? And and then I bring them on. Just like that. Wow. Yeah. That's... And so, and that would also be my, um, you know, kind of my uh, point to people who are also looking to hire junior, you know, when it's a absolutely great idea. Of course, I, I believe strongly in it that we should be hiring more junior designers. There's a lot of benefits in it. You know, you're getting fresh eyes, fresh perspectives, less baggage. And, um, and, you know, it is, it is helping the next generation of designers. So there's a lot of benefits to that. But the, it is challenging to hire them. Obviously, it's great to get a company like Design Equation to um, pass along leads. But, um, you know, it's, it's also good to, to check more for those, um, those soft skills around collaboration, growth mindset um, over, you know, uh, the the methods that they employ and kind of ticking all those boxes that they know how to do X, Y, and Z. Those things are easily learned. The soft skills generally are not. Mm, good point. Um, so are there lessons that you've learned along the way in terms of taking wrong turns or um, decisions that you wish you could turn back time and uh and decide differently no i've i've made zero mistakes in my business and um i'm trying not to laugh (laughs) it's been 100 percent perfect no i actually i say to people that um i'm prototyping my way into a business because um you know, I really believe in lean and I've employed those principles in creating my business. I, I have hypotheses. I find ways of validating them in smaller ways. And if they seem right and take on, I can take off, I can build on them. And if, and if they aren't going the right way, you know, then I can pivot. And so, you know, there's definitely been a lot of little lessons. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I 
continue to struggle with a bit is um, how to involve visual design in my uh, company in these design sprints. You know, I love the idea of, of doing um, kind of full stack product design. And we've definitely had a lot of projects um, with that. But when I get a project that has visual design, I can go kind of one of two routes. I can either find someone who has experience in visual design, like one of these people who uh, was a graphic designer and then went to General Assembly to switch into UX. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that can be a fantastic option if the bar is really high for the visual design. You know, the the, the problem can be that um, they are looking to switch to UX, right? And if they wanted to do visual design work, they could get paid a lot more than what I'm paying them. But very often they're willing to do it because of the mentoring that they get from me and they definitely get a piece of the of the UX as well. Um, I'd mention uh, we just so there's a project that's a great example of that. Um, we just launched the IXDA.org site, the website for the Interaction Design Association. Mm-hmm. And for that, I pulled on a designer, um, Karina Arredondo, who's um, a very gifted visual designer. And, you know, that's the level that IXCA needed. You know, they needed something really polished and that could resonate with their community. Um, so that's one way to do it. The other way that I've tried to do it sometimes is bringing in a UX designer who just has, you know, an affinity for and an interest in or a passion around visual design. Um, and, you know, sometimes that can work. I, I, I find with those designers, you know, there's huge difference between UX and visual design in that, you know, UX design, very often I can, I can accelerate it. I can, I can get faster results from my visual or from my UX designers while still getting, you know, great insights along the way. But visual design is really hard to rush. It can take a lot of time when, especially when you're new, um, you can be really slow at it. And then, you know, the, the quality can kind of be all over the map and the, and the, it's very subjective. It's subjective for the designer, for the evaluator, for the client. But I'm still finding that sometimes that method works because designers are looking to be more well-rounded. So some UX designers, even if they're not classically trained, you know, they are interested in having that as as part of their skill set to be more of a product designer um, instead of um, a UX designer. And, um, you know, not all of my projects need award-winning design. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes they need good enough design. You know, if I have a client who's putting together a proof of concept to put in front of investors or, you know, it's a closed beta and there's expected to be a lot of iteration and revision, you know, you you don't need perfect. um, You need done (laughs) (laughs) and cheaply, which is what they're they're often looking for. So that's that's been one of my main struggles with um, with, uh, you know, figuring out visual design in, in design equation. Sure, sure. So uh, you mentioned Lean. I'm curious what other tools, methodologies, resources you rely on um, in your in your daily work. Yeah, well, uh, I would say Lean is a huge part of my philosophy and, and what I press here. And it just, it makes so much sense with a lot of the clients that I work with. Um, I'm working with clients uh, kind of of lots of different sizes, but especially with the early stage startups, you know, we're, we're there to help them, you know, make hypotheses and, and test ideas. You know, it's, it's really important. Other than that, uh, I try to be pretty tool agnostic. Um, I think it's really important for designers 
to know how to learn tools. Um, it's almost as important as mastering tools. You know, mm-hmm. you have that thing that, that you love and, and you're great at and that's fantastic, but you may go to a different job where they use a different tool. And you just need to have, again, kind of that growth mindset of learning new tools and, and being open to trying new things. Um, that said, I love Sketch. It's <laughs> such an awesome tool. And it's great when my designers use it and, and I can jump in and get into their files. Um, and they're always coming up with um, cool little add-ons. It has a great community. So it's always um, very easy to, to find answers and shortcuts and tricks and things like that. So it's always a, a good sign when you find a community around a tool that's very passionate. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think that's true for, for all tools. The other things that I tend to rely on are like um, videos and pattern libraries. I love uh, the proliferation of these pattern libraries so that, you know, you can go in and just see how lots of different companies have tried to solve the problem that's in front of you. You know, in the old days, you had to take your screenshots yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And now you can just look at this index and go, oh, you know, it's perfectly fine to, you know, take someone's good idea and and roll it up so that, you know, you can get done a little faster. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've talked obviously about education and and the shortage of designers, really. Beyond that, what do you think is design's next big challenge? Or, you know, it could be that. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about where you see it headed. Mm. Well, yeah, I think um, I think I would kind of like to look inward on that question still. because, you know, UX is this incredible shape-shifting profession. You know, I, I still feel like in my 15 years, um, the core of what I do is remain the same. You know, I'm, I'm hired to be a critical thinker and a problem solver. And that, that really hasn't changed over the years. But in my time as a designer, you know, UX has not only um, come to mean like the full stack of UX activities from, you know, research to design to testing and and prototyping. But, you know, it's also in these job descriptions, it's more and more including visual design, very often including code. Designers really need to be familiar with data and analytics now. And underlying all of this, like through my whole career has been our drive and our fight for strategic influence in companies. And that too, you know, has a, a set of skills that are required, you know, increasing your business acumen, Mm-hmm. being able to stun, uh, understand market opportunities, you know, things like that. So that's already so much that we could theoretically be responsible for knowing. And then, you know, on the horizon, we have gestural products, IoT, there are robots, there's AI. All of these things are pulling from different fields, um, fields that we'll be collaborating with. And for some reason, you know, UX is like this blob, like anything we touch, we have to assimilate and say, you know, I really ought to know how to do that. Or I ought to be more familiar with, you know, those tools and and tricks. So I kind of fear um, that we just keep growing and keep pulling in more of these skills as being required. I hope that we stay grounded in our roles as, you know, critical thinkers and, and problem solvers kind of at the core. Um, but this this growth and, and this continuous requirement of, of new skills, I think, is a detriment to us. Hmm. It is interesting, right? I mean, where do you is there going to be a balance and, and how do you define, you know, the discipline moving forward? Because you're right. I mean, it seems as though 
it seems as though the spotlight is certainly on design with a lot of large companies, for instance, um, whether or not they, they really understand the way you've just described it, all the implications of what they're talking about is another story. But, mm-hmm. but it's also, you know, it, it, it begs the question, where are all these designers going to come from that the people are saying they need? And obviously you're doing things uh, there. Are, you know, I, I've heard of of a few other places where people are really trying to do some sort of apprenticeship or mentorship program. But I mean, what what's your take on the the education of designers? I mean, General Assembly, there's I mean, there certainly seems to be, you know, traditional education is is trying to change its approach towards turning out designers that have skills that are readily you know applicable in the real world but what do you think what do you think needs to happen well i think we're at an interesting place in design education because you know obviously i'm a proponent of of general assembly i i think that the designers get enough in that program that you know i find them hireable and um and some of them quite good so um, but there are flaws in that system. There are flaws in boot camps. Um, there are a number of companies that are doing online education. I think a huge part of what students get at General Assembly is that um, mentorship from a teacher. And so, you know, these online programs, I think, you know, exacerbate the the problems of um, of the time frame in which you know, it's this compressed time frame. But then on top of that, you know, they tend to focus more on these hard skills. And when someone's in a classroom, you have more of the opportunity to work on these soft skills, which I think really set them up for success um, far more. So, you know, there's um, there's problems with the boot camp strategy. I think it's been created in answer to the fact that not everyone wants to spend four years or can spend four years and so much money um, in a college environment. but. Um, and there are people who are trying to kind of get in the middle. So I believe um, Center Center that Jared Spool started, mm-hmm. isn't that like two years? I think so. And an ACD that John Colco started, I think that's two years as well. So, um, you know, there are a lot of different solutions to design education. And I think the market pressure is really to to get people who are very capable, but still inexpensive. <laughs> So there's there's still a lot to be sorted out with this. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So one final question: What uh, people or projects are grabbing your attention lately? Oh, um, well, like like so many people, I really dig robots. They're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love seeing the stuff that like Boston Dynamics puts out. Um, I'm really fascinated to see like the first mainstream house robot. I have a few friends who are working at Mayfield Robotics and, um, you know, their, their product will be, um, you know, a consumer house robot, which sounds very cool. And I think will bring up a lot of interesting things for us designers. And I'm excited to start seeing public case studies about the challenges, the design challenges that they're finding related to human robot interactions. You know, there's going to be some neat stuff there. Um, and then the, the other thing that I, I'm just very happy about lately is um, uh, so many of my colleagues, like people who have kind of reached um, kind of the same level as me in their career, you know, have shifted to trying to find a little bit more meaning in the work that they do. And so many of them have gone in service to the government in some way. So I have friends and colleagues working at F-18, at Code for America, um, friends at the VA. And, um, you know, they're 
this is a very underserved area of tech. And it's really great to see people, you know, maybe foregoing a bigger paycheck to, um, you know, give back and do their civic duty. Mm. It's really great. It is neat. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. You can reach Danielle on Twitter at Danny Malik. If you like the show, remember to subscribe and leave a positive review through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode.